0: Steps up and this will be a wonderful game. You're listening to the ESPN Footy Podcast.
1: Hello, welcome to the ESPN Footy Pod. We're back for another week to talk about AFLW. We've just had a massive round two of action. There were some unbelievably large results, so naturally we need to talk about it, but we can't wait to crack in. Before we begin, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Bunurong, Wurundjeri and Gadigal people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. For today's episode, you've got me, Marissa Lordanic, Sarah Burt, and making her ESPN footy pod debut, ESPN intern and GWS player, Isadora McClay. So I'm going to go to you first is, welcome, your footy pod debut, how are you feeling?
2: excited no thank you very much for having me
1: i'm very excited very keen we're stoked to chat with you today and sarah how are you doing a real mixed bag for you and your blues on the weekend
0: (laughs) yeah emotionally i'm very up and down (laughs) but um i'll talk to my psychologist about that (laughs) later on um for now no i'm i'm pretty good and we know that i just love everything to do with aflw so even though the blues had a bit of a rough week Um, there was some pretty exciting stuff happening outside of that.
1: There definitely was. So let's quickly run through the round two results. We started with the Crows beating the Tigers on Friday night. Gold Coast were huge winners over West Coast and scored their best ever tally. Don't know how to phrase that. They kicked the most points they ever have in AFLW history. We had Brisbane defeating Port Adelaide and Geelong beating Sydney as well. Hawthorne defeated the Western Bulldogs on Sunday, which was massive. Collingwood got their first win of the season. North were massive winners over the Blues. Essendon marked their return to Windy Hill with a win over the Saints. And finally, the Ds were big winners over GWS. So I reckon... We'll start there. We'll get it out of the way because obviously, as I said, Isadora plays for the Giants. So not the result, obviously, that you would have wanted, but talk to us about this game, not only from the Giants' perspective, but what you saw and what you liked from the D's because they did look very, very good.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, going in, it was kind of, I guess, we had the loss against the Swans and it was kind of the best way to kind of prove us ourselves is, you know, face probably the best team in the competition and um they really are the best team in the competition it's not they kind of don't just have one player to stop it's there's just so many players all around but I guess the standout performer was Katie Hall I mean she kicked three goals in the first quarter and she was just amazing her footwork her spread it was just unstoppable and I guess we kind of fought back, I guess, in that third quarter. We started to get on the board a bit, but it was their last quarter the way they just ran away with it. They capitalised on it, um, which, yeah, the girls and everyone's are pretty disappointed. Um, there are some highlights, like, you know, yeah, Zali, she played an unbelievable game and, you know, she got nominated for Rising Star and Nick Barr in her 50th game was she had a career high, 24 touches and I think like eight clearances, all of our clearances. So there were some highs about it. But... I just think Melbourne, the whole competition is scared of Melbourne.
1: <laughs> I reckon that's exactly how everyone feels, Sarah. Is that how you kind of saw Melbourne? They're just this giant terrifying beast that's kind of kicking small children and sweeping everyone aside that kind of comes before them?
0: <laughs> yes, they are. They're kicking small children. They and it, but As we talked about last week. We, we know that they've gone in, they've barely got any injuries. They, do they have any injuries at all? Um, and they've, I don't know, I don't think they do. They had, oh, Pax, Paxman was out. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Paxy was out. Apart from that, no one else is. And the, the thing with the Dees is, if Paxy played for any other team, that would be, I would not yeah. have forgotten that. That would be a huge, huge deal. But because of the depth in their side, anyone, any single omission in that side is annoying, but it's not an issue. They can just pick yeah. it up and it's fine. Um, and it's, I almost think that Daisy retiring has come at a really good time where we can see people like Kate Hall, for example, who are a, ready to step into that leadership role, but be ready to be the main character and really play that prolific role, um, they don't need Daisy anymore. They've, they've got – they don't. they've They've got enough depth and strength and they've just totally come into their own. Their side hasn't changed, so it's the exact same side that won a premiership last year. They know how to do it and they kind of look like they're going to do it again. As I said last week, I hope they don't because then it just becomes a bit of a boring, <laughs> a boring season. But, um, yeah, everyone's scared of them. I can totally understand why.
1: It's unbelievable, and we've spoken about her a bit, but Kate Hoard, just the stat line was ridiculous from the first quarter. So she ended the first quarter with three goals and 13 disposals, five marks, and that was just in, what, 17 minutes of footy? And it was like, all right, Chief. She went on to finish with five goals, 420 metres, gained 23 disposals and six tackles. It's just, it's unbelievable, (laughs) like, what she was able to produce. And I know I've read a couple of articles where they're like, throw her name into Best and Fairest contention because she was excellent in round one as well. So is that a fair kind of label to put on Kate Hall? Can she actually do something in the Best and Ferris? Do we see her actually challenging for that?
0: Uh, I do, absolutely.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think she's had a major impact in both of the games and she hits the scoreboard. So, I yeah, I definitely believe that. It's not someone you would have been talking about much, I guess, in the pre-season other than probably, you know, how she'll deal with taking over Daisy Pierce as captain and I think she's doing a great job. So, yeah.
1: We'll talk about some other players who will definitely be up there for best in Ferris and move on to North Melbourne defeating Carlton. Obviously, Sarah, we'll talk about Carlton, but we also need to talk about two North Melbourne players in particular, it feels like we talk about them every week and you talk about them every week for every single season, but Jazz Garner and Ash Riddell, just ridiculous numbers. The fact that they both racked up 36 disposals each, they laid 10 tackles each, and then Garner had eight clearances, Riddell had five. Just ridiculous numbers. Again, they're obviously going to be really, really uh, high up in the rankings once we come to Best and Fairest, but basically North Melbourne look really, really good.
0: What happened to Carlton, Sarah? I don't know what happened to the Blues. Um, it's from, from my perspective watching it, it was quite frustrating to see because the Blues, they didn't change their game setup up at all throughout. They they kept playing the game that we saw them play the week before, which again was meh. What they're doing at the moment is they're pushing up forward. So they really trying to trap that ball in the front forward 50 there. But North are really strong in defence and we know that. So Carlton needed to be strong enough to really make sure North were dropping the ball, being scrappy, um, and couldn't perform on that defensive level. But Carlton weren't strong enough to do that. And they they probably were, it was probably a bit remiss of them to think that maybe they would be. Um, so from, obviously as a Carlton fan, but I mean, I was in the commentary box and you can't, so I actually did at one point say our captain's out and then had to correct myself, but <laughs> the Blues captain. Um, but, y- you know, you have to be neutral. So from just genuinely just watching it, it was frustrating to see the Blues um, sort of failing to um, play as well as we know that they can. We I would be shocked if they made finals, but I know that they are a really young side. They're versatile and they've got a lot of young players up and coming players that um, can either play mid or play up the back or play up the front. Like people aren't really stuck in that structure yet because they're still trying to work it out. So they actually need to look at that and take that as an opportunity to be able to move things around and mix it up. Because at the moment, what they're doing isn't working and it's it's pretty frustrating. And to see people like Ashradel and Jazgana getting, I think they got thirty six or thirty eight disposals. Um, the week before as well they that's the second week in a row they've both had that same amount you need to be really focusing on locking them out of the contention of the ball and um and the Blues couldn't do that so um it was a bit frustrating the other thing was that ironically North probably need to work on um, their accuracy in front of goals because they could have won by a lot more um, which I feel a bit sacrilegious saying that as a as a blue supporter but they really could have and so it was interesting that there was a few players that played really really well for north like jazz and ash um but you look at the rest of the side and it was like they were okay but they were missing easy shots they were throwing away a loose ball um and the blues just couldn't capitalize on that the blues had a lot of opportunity to really try and run away with it and they just didn't do it so um yeah, bit a bit of a disappointing performance by the Blues and North have the capability to be really, really prolific if they can really sharpen up that accuracy in front of goals, I think.
1: Is do you reckon that if North can kind of grow into the season, work out any sort of kinks, they can go further in finals? Because I reckon it's a pretty safe bet that they can and should make finals. But we always know that when they do make finals, they sort of fail at that last hurdle. So do you think from what we've seen, which is only two games, just like putting that out there, do you think we've seen enough from them to maybe they can go further
2: in finals this time around? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, they've got a lot of like tall timber as well in their forward line. And I guess, yeah, in previous years, I guess their they're scheduling, like uh, their fixture, sorry, They've had a pretty tough fixture and then they get to finals and, you know, um, they kind of, I guess, would bomb out, I guess. But I think this year we will – I think they'll go further. I I had them coming runners-up because I still just don't see them as beating Melbourne. But I think this weekend they face Geelong, which will be a really good game, and those two, I guess, are – kind of real contenders so it'll be interesting to see how they face off against each other because I think that will show us a lot I guess how far they can go in finals.
1: A hundred percent and I am so looking forward to that North Melbourne Geelong game because I think it's going to tell us a lot about those two sides but that's also a good way to talk about Geelong's win because they were very good against the Swans. The Swans did kind of do better than they did against Geelong last season from memory. So we're seeing that improvement kind of uh, season to season from the Swans. But Geelong look really, really good. What kind of caught
2: your eye about the Cats is? Um, Chloe Shear, yeah. amazing. Um, they've got a lot of depth and they, they connect so well with each other and on, I guess, what... The Swans, what hurt the Swans was their first quarter. They couldn't really convert. And that oval that they play on in North Sydney Oval is a very, very small ground. And I was interested to see how they'd go because last week they played at GHMVA, um, in Geelong, sorry. And that's a much bigger ground. So I was interested to see how they'd go up against at North Sydney Oval because the Swans can sort of make that a bit of a fortress, but they really proved it. And they, I guess also if they kicked a bit straight as well like, hey, they could have thrown the swans out of the park so um they just seem so well connected their growth in the past two seasons has been amazing with all these young players coming through it's going to be it's a very good game they've got and georgie press parkas didn't even have that big not she had a good game but not even as big as last week so um when she's up and firing they're a scary scary team
1: it's so funny talking about Georgie. It's like, oh, she only got this many disposals. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I expect so much from her now, which is so funny. Um, I did want to ask, actually, because um, I'm glad you mentioned it. I suppose the size of grounds, I think it's something that we as like, fans and media look at and recognise, but as a player, how bigger role does it kind of play in the way you guys approach games, how it actually feels out on the park? What's it actually like dealing with the different dimensions and the different sizes from ground to ground?
2: Yeah. So I guess AFL is such a unique sport, meaning that like you, you can play on any size ground. Um, North Sydney Oval, we, for us in our game plan, it, it changed a little bit, I guess, because we're such a, we go through the middle type of team. But with North Sydney Oval being so narrow, um, it changed a lot like you teams who try to switch it up and i guess you know play to the other side of the wings and everything it's it's a bit harder because with the ground so small you, you know players can get to either side pretty quickly um so especially for a team like geelong who'd been training in geelong uh all of pre-season to then go to North Sydney Oval. I don't think they would have realised how small this ground was. I guess we, when we faced the Swans, we were a bit lucky. We got to do a training session there that week and get a vibe for it. But um, it plays such a a big role in it all.
1: I think it's just an interesting insight that like only you guys as players can sort of give. So that's why we're stoked to have you and Emo on the pod. But. Let's continue. Um actually no, first of all, Sarah, did you have any thoughts on Geelong Sydney? We were just talking about how Chloe Shear, are sensational. The Cats Young Brigade, so good. Like it looks they look really good this season.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think both teams, I think the one thing I will say about Sydney is that they're probably relying on a couple of their really good players. They haven't got the depth that the Geelong that the Geelong Geelong do. Um but I mean, I think they both looked pretty good, to be honest. Um, I think the cats are looking dangerous. I think the cats could go really deep into the um, into finals this year. So yeah, um, I don't. Well, you guys have probably already talked about yeah, Chloe Sheer, Chloe Malloy, all that jazz. So yeah,
1: <laughs> they're both so good. They're so much fun to watch. I have a segue to the next game, but it's a bit of a reach. So bear with me. We're just talking about. Sydney, and Scott Gowans is their coach. We spoke about it last week, his comments before the game against the Giants and how he labelled them the least performing side of any of the inaugural teams. Obviously, they're not an inaugural team, but in terms of least performing sides, West Coast are not good. And I think we should talk about it and we should also talk about <laughs> Gold Coast and how excellent they were against the Eagles. I said it wasn't a good segue, but I went with it anyway. Um 99.
0: No, I didn't mind the segue. It was
1: <there>. not good. <laughs> it, it was uh we we took a journey together, didn't <laughs> to we? Um but gold coast west coast is the game that I thought we should talk about next because everything just worked for Gold Coast. 159.99, they were hot, their entire Ford line was hot. Jamie Stanton was ridiculous, and West Coast just kind of did not put up a fight, really. So keen for either of you to talk about Jamie Stanton, about the West Coast, uh, West Coast, the Gold Coast forward line, whatever you would like to talk about. Sarah, I'll go to you
0: first. Just Yeah, well, yeah, We what worked for Gold Coast was Jamie Stanton. I mean, celebrating your 50th game by kicking six goals and in a record-breaking margin is pretty prolific. That is an amazing achievement. And it's interesting because you don't, Jamie Stanton isn't a name that's been thrown around pre-season much. It's not a name that people would often put in their, you know, top 10 players. So it's interesting that she has come out and really performed like this. It's probably a good sign of a really fantastic pre-season or just really buying into the, um, the performance of her being her 50th game and just really feeling like she needed to to deliver there but um Gold Coast that that is just such a fantastic um story because you know when they first started it wasn't it wasn't great either but they've they've come up they've worked really hard they've picked the right people in the draft um and they're obviously doing the right things in training Again, it'll be interesting to see when they match up against some of the higher ranked teams, how they go, but it did seem like everything just totally went well for them this weekend.
1: And is they just like, and it wasn't just Stanton, like, obviously, she was fantastic and it was her milestone, so she got a lot of the attention and focus. But you know, Tara Bahana pitched in, Jack Dupay pitched in, and they were getting plenty of it from Charlie Rowbottom, who was absolutely sensational through the middle. So, what, like, why was it so good on the weekend for the Suns?
2: Yeah, a lot of of their players stood up and I guess previously they have been ones to rely on, I guess, you know, the row bottoms and everything. But um, yeah, a lot of their players stood up and they, it makes you look back to the game against Carlton is like they must have really, really bombed out of that one because if you compare that, they would have done a really good review on just the little things they must have done that. (laughs) Because to produce that scoreline is unbelievable and it's really good to see, I guess, teams who aren't, you know, the top three on the, of the competition to produce scores like that. It's, it's really exciting to see where the game's going. Can I ask a question?
0: We have seen some pretty big scorelines, particularly this week, some history-making scorelines. We know that the AFL introducing some of the new rules was to try and make the games be higher scoring to try and tire people out um, to sort of rust down that defence so that the games would be higher scoring. Do you think these results, not just this game, but the higher scores we saw across the round are a result of that and, and or a result of the longer quarters or do you think it's just a result of um, it being the eighth season and people getting into the groove of things?
2: Yeah, I think it's probably a mixture of both. I think it's starting to understand a bit also how, you know, women play football a bit. Like I think, you know, obviously the men's game has been around for a lot longer and I think the skill levels have developed. And I think in pre-season for us, we kind of, we also looked at stats of the likelihood of, you know, where we would score our most goals and everything. So I think looking at stats like that is really helping, you know, it becomes more realistic for players. And a lot of it is also, you know, on the preseason. So you lose, you know, our interchanges went down and, yeah, know, so pe- there's going to be more tied bodies. And I think it's a really smart move by the AFL to, you know, bring that down because it's going to bring scores up. And I think what's forgotten a lot is when we look at, um, you know, when a lot of people are comparing both games and saying, oh, this scoreline was so low compared to that scoreline, da-da-da-da. I have to remember that we don't play for two hours. We have a lot shorter quarters. So I think the numbers being produced is amazing. And um, I think with the development, yeah, over the years, and I guess people understanding women's football more and how it's coached, because I think, you know, you can't coach both the exact same. Like we, we take things differently. So I think, yeah, I think it's just people understanding the game more is really helping
1: I think it's such an interesting point and an interesting discussion because I think this was the first round where I can't remember the point. Now, there was a hundred something. I can't remember if it was a hundred goals kicked like across the round. Like that had never happened before in AFLW. Yeah. And it's – because, like, yeah, as you said, one of the criticisms of AFLW has always been, it's not high scoring enough. Why don't they score enough goals? Blah, 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 blah. Um, But then the the other side of it is like, oh, but why did – you know, What the? it's too lopsided. Why isn't it more even? Like, it's almost you guys can't win in a weird kind of way. But I think it is really interesting that the way in which the AFL has tweaked the game in order to produce these results. And to be fair, like – People do want to see goals, so I'm not surprised that that's yeah. what we got. And if we can, I suppose, then even it out a bit more, people will find something not yeah. to complain about, but, like, it will be more enjoyable. Sarah, what was your, like, you asked the question, but what was your kind of thoughts on your own question? How did you sort of answer it?
0: Yeah. Um, well, it, I wanted to hear what Iz had to say because I think, um... As we said earlier, some some things, some perspectives, we just don't know unless we're a player, um, which you and I sadly are not. <laughs> sadly for us, not sadly. It was our dodgy knees. That's <laughs> why our careers never. <laughs> yeah, it'll get uh, <laughs> oh, I play golf now. Don't worry. <laughs> um, but um, it's yeah. It I I certainly think that it has got to do with the rule changes. I think the AFL do know what they're doing in terms of like what is said catering to the women's game to try and accommodate those goals. So um, I think it's probably a combination of introducing a couple of those new rules together at the one time. So um, the one that would be interesting to chat about is the the interchange cap, because for some teams it really doesn't affect them at all and they haven't had to change anything. And for some teams it has. For some teams it seems like they've actually started doing more interchanges because maybe they realised they should have been or I don't know something but it is interesting but so that's been introduced and um boundary throw in and the um, as we said and and this other rule as well so I think probably the length of quarters I don't know if that would from the style of play that we see progressively now into round eight I don't know if that would be enough to make people score more goals because it is promoting fatigue. You do see people tired. Like, oh, will use the Blues as an example on Sunday. They just were totally spent by the fourth quarter. They just, they it was clear that A, maybe their fitness isn't up to scratch, but B, and we've seen it in other games too, it is promoting fatigue. People are tired and they're not used to playing that long. Um, so I, I think it's probably, more to do with um yeah the way that the afl is structuring these rules all together and um yeah i have don't feel like i've really answered your question but i think it's probably a combination of a lot of things
2: yeah i think it's also good because we'd see in a lot of games that you know if a team goes up by two goals it's kind of i guess in previous years it's you know as you're watching you're thinking oh it's over now But a team can now be up by two goals and you'd be like, oh, well, you know, with the longer quarters, I guess there's more likelihood that they can score. So,
1: yeah, definitely. It's a good discussion and I suppose we'll keep seeing it as the season progresses because obviously it's going to have more of an effect as we get more games into the season. I keep needing to remember that every time we're saying something, we're saying it based on two rounds of footy, which is (laughs) not a lot, so like what, 20% of the season? Quick maths. Like, it's it's weird. Um, we won't whinge about the length of the season today. That's a That'll come up some other times throughout the season. I can feel it. But um, let's talk about some of the other games. We wanted to talk about Western Bulldogs and their loss to Hawthorne. Um, good for Hawthorne if they had kicked a little bit straighter. Actually, if both sides had kicked a little bit straighter, it could have been a different story either way, but Hawks are now one and one. They look good. There seems to be some really positive signs. We know that they recruited really well in the off season. The Dogs are 0-2 uh, oh though, and Sarah, you spoke about it last week about should we be worried? Like, what's going on with the Dogs? So is do you have any kind of takes or diagnosis? Should the dogs be worried with the Omen two-star? Do you see things getting better for them?
2: Um, I guess they've got Melbourne this week. So Good I think I would be worried. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess also it's just such a shock, I guess, last season, you know, they, I don't know, they were on a bit of a spree with their wins. And to start this season, um, you know, 0-2, it is a bit of a shock. And they didn't lose, I guess, if any players in the off-season. They've, they've done pretty well against the expansion clubs um, this off-season. So, um, yeah, I was just very surprised um, about that loss because I guess in the third quarter as well, I felt like they played better in that second half. But then the Hawks were just, when got into their forward 50, they were just able to capitalise on it.
1: Sarah, the Hawks, are they building something here? Because like I said, we know that they got some really big names in. They've looked decent and now they've got that first win on the board. Are they kind of cooking in Season
0: 8? Yeah, it might be. They just needed to get that monkey off their back and um, get that first win. But as you said, they've got Greta Bodie, they've got M Bates, um, Tilly Lucas Rod had a good game. So they've got some of those... um, Really stoic, consistent, older players um, who are also really valuable, probably in a leadership perspective as well, to help sort of mentor some of those younger players. Um, But the Hawks, when you talk about um, player movement, the Hawks had a lot. They had a lot coming in and a lot going out um, during the off season. So um, it is a very, very different side to what we saw in their first season. So I think they are. I think they. I mean. Yeah, it's, I, I don't think they'll be contenders by any stretch, but I think of all of the um, expansion or were expansion sides, um, I think they're looking really good, really promising. And um, as you say, the dogs, It's I think the injuries haven't helped. Um, possibly when you talk about confidence, it's likely their confidence is down. But one thing that I, and I know that we don't like to talk about one player being the anchor of a team. But I just feel like there's been quite a few years now where Ellie Blackburn just needs a bit of a chop out, like she just needs some help. And she can't keep carrying this team on her shoulders for much longer. And they, I think they do need to um, produce some more depth. I think that's the... And the issue is that they, they keep getting all these injuries and they can't rely on their more fringe players so um they've got to work on depth for their squad I think that's probably where they're falling down at the moment and you know like say we've never seen it in our lives but if Ellie had an off day well then what do you do <laughs> I love
1: if we've never seen it but if it ever happened the the mythical Ellie Blackburn off day but <laughs> it's I think it's a good point and then it kind of goes back to, I am going to talk about season length now. It's kind of hard to build depth when you only have your players for like a 10-week season, a very short pre-season. Like there's not a lot of time to actually do the work. Um, So it's a
0: hard one. It's a hard situation. and like, And when you look at the ratio of even if you do a minor injury and you're out for two weeks, like – in uh, men's season, I don't, I'm not a numbers person, but whatever, it's two games. In the women's season, that's like bloody 20% of the season. So you can't like, you don't have time to, if you injure yourself for two weeks, you've missed so much of the season that next season you haven't, like you can't accumulate games. It's It blows my mind that some of these people have only played only just, we're only just hitting 50 gamers now. Um, because it's bizarre, because you feel like some of these people have just played the whole time and they have, but there's just not the amount of games to get that experience up, to get the teams to gel, or, yeah, if you've had an injury, to get back on your feet and bounce back.
1: It's a good point, but I'm going to stop us there because we could really go down a rabbit hole in terms of season length. We're not doing it. We're not doing it. Um, We will talk about something else, though, that's kind of, similar in terms of scheduling and fixtures. We saw the crows beat the tigers like I said on Friday night. Is anyone surprised by that result as a first up question? No. No. That's what I thought the <laughs> answer was. <No>. Um <laughs> the thing I wanted to talk about though was that this game started at 5:05 p.m. on a Friday. Um and that was a topic of discussion in the ESPN office. And it is the topic of an article that you is and Imogen, who you all heard last week, wrote about for ESPN.com.au. You will be able to read that during the week. But sneak preview of the article. What is your take on a game starting at 5.05 on a Friday? Like, what are the pros? What are the cons? What was your kind of opinion
2: on on that start time? Um, I guess... Oh, the pros are that it's kind of a lead up into the the finals game on that night. But I guess as AFLW, as a competition, we don't really want to be the, you know, the curtain raiser for a men's finals game. Um, I don't think it's a very good idea at all. Because when you think about people finishing work, they work a nine to five and, you know, you, you want to get your kids to do football. You've got to do all this stuff. You can, it's unrealistic to get there by 5 p.m. And, you know, AFLW want people attending games and you've got such a big game with um, North Melbourne and Geelong, which could really like grab a crowd, but it's it's at 5.05pm. And I know next week, the Giants have Adelaide at 11am in Canberra. So squeezing an AFL game, you know, at breakfast time before, I understand the men's game is on that (laughs) day, but the first round was on a Thursday night and I don't understand why we can't just, you know, maybe put the girls game, another Thursday night game on, you know, it's a, you know, footy fest in the air. And I think we could, the scheduling could be a lot more smarter than this.
0: What I didn't understand was I totally agree with you is what you're saying about, um, you guys not wanting it to be a curtain raiser for the men's final and I yeah I totally agree with that what my question to the AFL is if that was their intention still why did it start at 505 because the men's game started at 750 and how long does a women's game go for
2: oh it'd be like an I think it's like an hour or something yeah the pros are that the women's game is a lot shorter so started at 615
0: <laughs> it doesn't need to start at 5:05 p.m and the 05 thing this is just my irrational brain it bugs me because I'm like oh are you trying to are you trying to prove that people that finish work at five o'clock can get to the game because <laughs> you put it after five o'clock like 505 doesn't count guys <laughs> no one unless you literally work for Carlton Football Club no one is getting there at 5.05. That's just my own little opinion, but it it seems like a little jab. I'd like to know what why the extra five minutes is in there.
1: I love it. You you're real dog with a bone with the tiny little five minute thing. I agree though. Like what what's going on AFL? What are you doing? Um, I think it's such an interesting conversation because like the whole reason the season starts during men's finals is because it starts in that bye week in that clear week where. AFLW is the main show, but it seems like there was so much focus on that and then no thought put into the rest of the men's final series and how that kind of intersects with the women's season. So um, I agree with you. I'm a big fan of Thursday night football. I do an A-League women's podcast, a women's soccer podcast, also on ESPN. You can listen to it, the Far Post. Um, And back in the day, there was always – Thursday night football we called it Thursday night it was a great like we all enjoyed it it was good fun and it didn't start at stupid times like 5 5 p.m so um, I think yeah there just needs to be like someone forgot to kind of keep planning the rest of the season and how it actually works with the men's games because yeah, starting it at 5.05, starting at 11am, It's it just makes no sense. As a player, how do you kind of approach an 11am start time? Because I feel like it would be a weird one. Like, how does your actual day look like?
2: Yeah, it's like local football. <laughs> um, it's like junior football. I guess you, you you have to get up earlier, you know, all the prep that goes in, like people love to do that. You know, you do the team walks, you know, breakfast, what you eat, you kind of really have to, You do, everything will have to be done earlier. It really throws it all it all off.
1: It's, I don't like it. None of us like it. <laughs> um, as we said, Is and Imo both wrote about it. So you'll be able to read that on ESPN.com.au. Um, Are there any final things we would like to talk about from round two? The silence is a no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no. (laughs) There were two things that I wanted to mention. I know we just spoke about Adelaide Richmond in terms of the start time, but Danielle Ponta's goal from the centre circle. What? (laughs) How? What? Like, incredible. Goal of the year. Basically, sign, seal, delivered.
0: Yes, no.
2: Definitely. She is,
0: yeah, she always she's a real performer. Like she always gets the most amazing, performative, beautiful goals. And I don't mean that any disrespect to her. I don't think she. I don't think she's attention seeking or anything like that. She's obviously just a really darn good player. But some of those more spectacular moments we do see come from Danny Ponta. And um and that was just absolutely one that's gonna be on repeat for the rest of the season. or should be.
1: I tweeted about it and I used the um classic BT commentary from the twenty sixteen men's grand final when Tom Boyd kicked the goal from the uh center square. So the the expletive version is on my Twitter if you don't know what I'm talking about. Um the only other thing I wanted to mention from round two really quickly was just Essendon being back at Windy Hill. I love it when the teams are back at their spiritual homes and obviously Essendon couldn't do it at Windy Hill last season but just all of the hype. I don't know if you guys saw Essendon on their Instagram were posting like old-timey photos of just their relationship with Windy Hill through the years. So you saw like giant crowds in the 90s, you saw old trams going through Essendon, taking people to games. Um, And I thought Maddie Prosparcus after the game, the way she spoke about it, we obviously know that she grew up an Essendon fan, so obviously all of this means so much to her. But it was just really nice to see Essendon, the footy club, the players, the fans all kind of get that moment of returning to Windy Hill. So I, I just I really liked it, I really enjoyed it and I think it's one of the best parts of AFLW because if we can pack out the old grounds, the traditional grounds of these clubs, like the vibe is unmatched, like it's so good, it just really adds something intangible to the game. So, absolutely loved seeing the crowd at Windy Hill and everything that kind of went with it and I hope that obviously SM fans keep packing it out. Um, To finish off today's pod, just really quickly, round three is coming up. We spoke a little bit about Geelong North and how that's basically a game we will all be watching very closely. Are there any other matches we're looking forward to from round three?
2: Uh, Collingwood and the Suns I think will be quite interesting Um, at Vic Park. It'll be interesting to see how the Suns back it up after that amazing performance and, you know, coming at Charlie Rowbottom against Bree Davey, that will be a really, really interesting match-up. Um, yeah, so it'll be interesting how those two go against each other and I guess we'll kind of prove where they're both at. Says, what are you liking the look of? I'm going to say Crows
0: and Essendon because we know that Crows um, – you know, we talked last week about could we be seeing a fall of a dynasty? I mean, that's very dramatic and we've only seen two games. But they're currently third on the ladder. Essendon is showing some good stuff. So what I'm excited to see is Essendon playing against a side that, and I know this word's overused, but it will be a bit of a barometer for where they sit in the league. Um, I'm excited to see what this scoreline looks like we do often have blowouts around like well, I mean we I was gonna say around the middle towards the middle of the season, which scarily we're kinda of getting there now. Um, but we like last week we just saw so many really, really big score lines. I think this game has the potential to be both high scoring and close and it will be a real um confidence booster for Essendon not even if they win, but if they can just um, stay matched with the Crows, I think that will be a really exciting one to watch. It is in Adelaide, so um, obviously the Crows play well in Adelaide and they've got a huge following there because they're so fantastic. But I think it will be really exciting to see Essendon, A, travelling and B, against such a historically good side. Absolutely. Absolutely love both of those suggestions that is us
1: done for today is good luck on the weekend up against the Tiges. we hope to see you out there sarah good luck to you watching the blues once again like I got got nothing but good luck for you.
0: I'm like, (laughs) but the couch warrior, you don't need to wish me luck when, when he's is here because she's actually playing. (laughs) I wish you both luck
1: and well done is an excellent debut. I will say thank you so much for tuning in everyone. Remember all of your footy news articles, opinions is over on ESPN.com.au. The boys will obviously have the men's pod as well. So check that out. But, We'll catch you next week for more Footy chat.
0: Don't miss another episode of the ESPN Footy Pod by subscribing wherever you stream your podcasts.